Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Leaders. We've all had them from the first day of our lives. And we will have them until the last day of our lives and every day in between. If you stop to think about it, there isn't a day in any of our lives that we will not be under some type or multiple human leaders. Think with me. When you're born, you are under the leadership of your parents. The day you're born, you're under leadership. As you go to school, you move under the leadership of teachers. If you play sports, you're under the leadership of coaches. When you get your first job, if you're not working for yourself, you're under the leadership of a boss or a manager or a supervisor, a team lead. When you get your driver's license, to get your driver's license, you have, to, you have to be under the leadership of the DMV instructor. And then once you get it, you're under the leadership of Highway Patrol. And they're watching you and telling you what you can and can't do and correcting you and, and giving you that ticket. And you've got to park in certain places and all of those things. If you go to college, you're under the leadership of professors. In whatever city or state or country that you're a citizen of, you're under the leadership of the respective governments and local and, and, and regional or state and federal leadership. And we're under the leadership of a president and vice president and Congress and House of Representatives and a state governor and, and state representatives. We have a local representative in, in Orange County. And, and then you get into whatever city you live in, the mayor and the city council. All of our lives are touched by leaders each and every day. When you join a church, you, you are under the leadership of a pastor and or pastoral or church staff. If you go to a Sunday school class, you're under the leadership of teachers and workers, children that you dropped off tonight in the nursery. They're under the leadership of nursery workers. All throughout our lives, we're constantly, every day of our lives, under leaders. And for most of our lives, probably all of our lives, not, not probably, all of our lives, multiple different leaders. We'll have different bosses throughout our lives and different presidents throughout our lives and different teachers and different coaches, different governors, state governors, and different police chiefs and different pastors. Most people will not live their entire life only under the leadership of one pastor. And the list goes on. That's a lot of leaders that you and I have lived under have served under, have worked together with, and will live under, serve under, and work together with. Now let me ask you a question. That being true, how many of those leaders that you've been under, are under, or will be under are perfect leaders? None. Humanly, all the human leaders, none. There is no such thing as the perfect teacher, the perfect pastor, the perfect parent, the perfect police officer, the perfect president. The, there is no such thing as the perfect leader in, every, in any arena or in any realm. And with that many different leaders in your, lives, in your life, what is the likelihood that one or more of those leaders will in some level be toxic? Probably pretty good. 
that somewhere a leader, whether intentionally or unintentionally, is going to hurt you, is going to adversely impact your life, is going to do something that, that again, sometimes it's, 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 it's narcissistic, really, you know, really toxic leaders that they don't care who they hurt, they're just in it for themselves and they intentionally hurt people. For many of us that, that and by the way, not only are we under leaders, all of us in some level in our lives are going to then have the opportunity to be leaders. We're going to have people under our leadership, again, whether it's in a family or at work or, or in a neighborhood or in a, or in a sports team or whatever it might be. There are going to be people that we have responsibility over. And if you lead anybody, you know what I'm saying is true. There are times in every area, every role of your leadership, you have hurt those, even those that you love, with, with your imperfect leadership. And maybe it's not intentionally toxic, but there has been some things that, that you've done and you look back and say, man, I wish I could take that back. I wish I hadn't handled that that way. I wish I hadn't said that that way. And that's just a reality of our lives. Another reality is that we live in a society that sometimes celebrates victimhood. We like to take whatever our poor choices are or whatever in our life life that is there that shouldn't be there, a personality quirk or a character trait or a way that we operate, and it's easier instead of saying this is something I need to own and I need to work on, and I, I, it's easier to say, well, I'm just that way because of what so-and-so did to me. Well, the neighborhood I grew up in, that's just the way we were. Well, the home that I was brought up in, well, the way that my parents did this, well, the pastor I was under, and, and, and I'm gonna get there in a minute. Stay with me here by way of introduction, but sometimes in our society, it feels like anything that's wrong in our lives, we're looking, well, it's, it's this and it's that and it's generations of this and it's, it's the federal government and it's the state government. It's the, the oppressive student loan system. And so we've got to, well, I signed up for the student loan, but it's their fault I'm in debt. And so we've got to get the government to pay all of that off in, in every area, whether it's financial or personal or marital or relational or, or at work or at church or spiritual our faults and our failures and our shortcomings, instead of owning those, sometimes it can be a little easier to say, well, that's, I'm that way because this happened to me. And by the way, sometimes there's validity to some of that. But we live in a society sometimes that celebrates victimhood, that justifies every wrong choice I make because of the wrong actions or choices of one or more of my leaders in the past. Again, I'm not pleased understand my heart. I'm not minimizing abuse in someone's life and the effects that that might have, whether it's spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, moral abuse, pastoral abuse. I'm not minimizing any toxic leadership in our lives and saying, I'm not, I'm not talking about victim shaming here. In fact, the opposite tonight, if, if you have been under what you might consider a toxic leader that you think has adversely affected your life, I'm going to show you the power that you have to choose another path other than just resigning in defeat that I can't do what I know is right because I was done wrong by some authority in my life. Well, I can't be the husband I'm supposed to be because my dad did this. I, I can't be the worker I'm supposed to be, the supervisor, because I was done wrong by a boss. I'm going to show you that that's not the case. Sometimes a Christian will justify their bitterness toward God and their lack of faith because a human spiritual leader let them down. Well, I'm done with church. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. 
another pastor in the news that took advantage and embezzled money or, or was unfaithful morally or whatever it might. I'm done with all that stuff. And sometimes because of, of, of toxic leaders that we've seen in the spiritual realm, we'll justify our, our, our ungodly, unbiblical spiritual responses because of what someone did to us. And we could, we could go through, that, that can happen in the home, that can happen in the church, that can happen at work, that can happen in the family. A husband or a wife might justify, or a parent might justify their mental or emotional or physical abuse of a spouse or a child because of the way we were treated as a child or the way we saw one of our parents treat their spouse. We might mistreat those under our authority at work because someone once mistreated us when we were a subordinate. I was reading just this afternoon, actually, I saw an article and it, it had this paragraph in it and I took a screenshot. It said, it said uh, talking about this idea of, of that we live our lives from the hurt we've received, we, we might say things like, well, I was spiritually abused, I was trapped in legalism, my parents didn't love me. And here's, here's what this writer said. He said, certainly there is responsibility for a parent who abuses their children or for a ministry that was wrong and how they handled uh, that ministry. But if I, listen to this, if I live the rest of my life with abuse as my label or build my ministry upon how others have wronged me, I will live life bound, and here it is, and will end up hurting others in time. If I live life labeled by the hurt I've received, in time I'm going to end up hurting others. I want to, I as we continue tonight, I think this is our seventh message in this series, Toxic Leadership, Studying the Life of King Saul. We've been through uh, the first few chapters of his life and, and reign here as the first king of Israel. And uh, because of that, I'm not going to take much time to set up the context or the background. We've done a lot of work on that in the, the beginning weeks of this series but tonight as we continue in our series on the life of King Saul, I want to bring you a message entitled, Toxic Leadership Doesn't Define You. And I got thinking about it tonight as I was reviewing my notes again. I probably should have entitled this message, Toxic Leadership Doesn't Have to Define You. Because sometimes it does define us if we allow it to. We pivot everything in our lives based on the way we've been treated, the wrongs that have been done to us. And again, I went through the long list. You will probably have hundreds, if not more than that, of leaders on some level in your life throughout your lifetime, and, and none of them are perfect. And you will be hurt, and if you're a leader at some point, you will hurt those that you lead. And if we're not careful, our lives will be defined by that Hurt. I want us to look this morning, this evening, at, at the life of really Jonathan, King Saul's son. But what I want to talk about tonight is that the mistakes of your leaders don't destine you to a life of perpetuating those mistakes. Can I say that again? The mistakes of your leaders don't destine you to perpetuating uh, the, to a life of perpetuating those mistakes. Do you remember King Josiah? We might look at him a little bit more as I was studying through this. I wasn't planning on it, but I think I'm actually going to preach a part two on this from 1 Samuel on toxic leadership doesn't have to define you in a week or two. And we might look at King Josiah at the end of that message. But remember King Josiah? Bible says the greatest king that Israel had and what did he have for a dad? Wicked, evil, vile. What did he have for a grandpa? Wicked, evil, vile. And what was Josiah? Righteous, godly, wonderful. 
The mistakes of our leaders don't destine us to a life of perpetuating those mistakes. And, and like King Josiah, you and I, with the help of God, can break the generational cycle of wickedness or abuse in our lives and start a new cycle of godliness and righteousness for all those under our authority. Your leaders' good choices don't destine you to success, and your leaders' bad choices don't doom you to failure. I want you to stop and think about that because how many times have we seen wonderful, godly uh, churches and, 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 and with godly, gracious, humble leadership and there are people that choose to, to live lives that are displeasing to God or wonderful, godly families and, and sometimes some children will choose to give their lives to God and others will choose a totally different direction. How do you explain that? Well, of course, there's free will and there's sin nature, but just because you had great leaders does not guarantee you a life of success, if you will, or a life lived that is pleasing to God. And just because you might have had some bad leaders, it doesn't doom you to failure. It is true. And we're going to get to Scripture in a minute. We're actually going to turn to several chapters, so I hope you'll follow along. But it is true that statistically speaking, if you study statistics, statistically speaking, those who are abused go on to abuse others at a higher rate. It is true that statistically speaking, children of unwed mothers, which I am one, have children out of wedlock at a higher rate. And children of addicts struggle with addiction at higher rates. And those whose parents were incarcerated are more likely to go to jail themselves. All of those statistics are true, but they are not, they are not guarantees. Our leadership does influence us and our choices, but it does not define us or our choices. That's, that's an important distinction. We have to be able to be honest about, here, here is some of the unhealthy uh, leadership models I've seen. Here are some of the things that I've seen that don't line up with Scripture real, real well. And here's the way that it's impacting me. Here's the way that it's affecting me. And, and I've got to be on guard. And if I grew up with this toxicity in my life, and maybe this is what I saw in the spiritual realm or in the family realm or in the, in the, the work realm or in the secular world, I've got to be a little more aware that I might have a tendency to to do those things more than maybe somebody that didn't grow up the way that I did, but it does not mean that, that I'm defined by those choices. Again, our leadership does influence us and our choices, but it doesn't define us or our choices. We see that all through scripture, including tonight with Jonathan. And if we understand that, that, that we might be statistically more likely to perpetuate the sins of our leaders, then we can seek God in those areas and ask him to help us to get victory. And tonight, we will see that we can have that victory. Tonight in 1 Samuel, if you'll go to 1 Samuel 13, and we're going to look at probably, oh, I don't know, 12, 15 verses over three or four chapters, maybe 20 verses tonight. I want you to follow along. And I want to give you tonight six admonitions, six admonitions that, that if you see in your life maybe hurtful impact of one or more what you might consider some form or level of toxic leadership in your life in past or present. I want you to see six admonitions from the life of King Saul's son, Jonathan. By the way, the fact that we're studying King Saul's son, Jonathan, you know what it shows us? Sometimes, sometimes the toxicity of leadership can come from those and those that hurt us can be those that are closest to us. In fact, often that's the ones that hurt the most whether it's a parent or a 
pastor or a brother or a sister. Somebody that we love and we admired and, and, and we see here that sometimes that hurt can come from those that are closest to us. I want us to see, and we're going to, I don't have a ton of illustrations. I don't have a lot of jokes tonight. We're really just going to look at scripture and pull out six admonitions, six challenges, six principles from Jonathan's life as we can compare and contrast the life of Jonathan with his dad. Number one, I want to challenge you. If you see in your life, you know what? I do see some ways that, that isn't it funny? And not even in all bad ways, but, but the older you get, you find you turn into those that, that most closely influence you. What do, we, what do you, if you're married, what do you might say sometimes to your wife? You're turning into your mother, right? Or you might say to your husband, man, that's, you sounded just like your dad. And sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. And, 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 and sometimes my wife's mom is Cindy and my wife will say something or do something and I'll say, okay, Cindy, sounds good. You guys act like that's bad. You must think she's not a very nice lady. That's a wonderful compliment, right, Tiff? And that's how I always use it as a wonderful compliment every single time. Have you seen those progressive, I should have, man, I should have thought of this, those progressive commercials where you're turning into your parents. If you haven't, go on YouTube tonight and watch those. Those things are, they're genius. And this guy is holding seminars to help people not to turn into their parents. And he says, we can't help you from turning into your, we can't keep you from turning into your parents, but we can't help you save money on your insurance. Genius commercials. Well, what is he showing that, that those that influence us, very often we are predisposed to take on their good attributes and some of their negative ones. And, and when we understand that, we need to be able to step back and say, you know what? I struggle there. God, would you help me with that? Number one, my first challenge to you from the life of, Saul, of Jonathan is this, keep a right spirit even when your leaders minimize your achievements. First Samuel chapter number 13, I want you to see it in really one of the first times we see Jonathan um, kind of mentioned here in King Saul's reign. First Samuel 13 verse number three, it's Jonathan winning a great victory within his, his dad's kingdom. You would think his dad would be really excited about it. Notice first Samuel 13 verse number three. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, let the Hebrews hear. What's he going to tell the Hebrews? There's this exciting thing. My son, my son has just helped to, to win a victory against our enemies. I want all the Israelites to hear about this. Let's see what the Israelites heard. Verse 4, and all Israel heard say that... Who does it say there, church? Who? Who? Wait a second. Let's go back. Maybe I misread my Bible. Verse 3. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines, and all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also has had an abomination with the Philistines, and the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. By the way, when sometimes that is the, the mark of a narcissistic leader or a toxic leader, you can never do enough and, 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 and you can get to feeling like, man, I never get credit for what I did. May I just say to you, if you struggle with that or you see that in your lives, work to keep a right spirit even if and when your leaders minimize your achievements. Someone takes credit for something you've done. Remember who you're li really living for. You At work, you don't get the credit you think you deserve for an achievement that you did. Guess what? God sees it all 
fall and God knows and getting upset and getting angry and getting bitter is not going to help you. And God is strong enough to take care of the ways that you might have been minimized or mistreated. And you might get to feeling kind of exasperated. I can never make them happy. I can never do enough. There's always something wrong with what I've done. I, I guess I'll just give up and throw in the towel. No, church family, don't let their treatment of you lead you to revenge or anger or bitterness. We must remember you can't control your leader's actions. You can only control your response to their actions. And sometimes, again, every leader you have is an imperfect leader. And sometimes it's intentional and there, there may be evil and wicked. And I don't know that most of us have a ton of those in our lives, but maybe in the course of a lifetime, we might come across one or two or three of those. But most of the time, the hurts that come are probably unintentional. They're, they're coming from a good motive, but they're just imperfect like you are. And if we're not careful, we'll let their imperfections and their imperfect handling of things lead us to bitterness. And, and, and we're going to see later, Jonathan kept a great spirit with his dad. Jonathan, and his dad's going to, he's going to mistreat him even worse than what we just saw here. But Jonathan's going to keep a right spirit. Jonathan's not going to try to get back and to get even and to get and to, to create a coup. Jonathan is not going to, to do these things that, as we study here tonight to do those things. And so I would challenge you, keep a right spirit even when your leaders don't treat you right, when they minimize your accomplishments. Number two, lead selfish, selflessly even if your leader led selfishly. Lead selflessly even if your leader led selfishly. Look at verse, chapter 14, verse 1. King Saul, and we don't, for the sake of time, we haven't studied, but we went all the way through chapter 13. King Saul, remember what he said? It's all about my name. I've got to get rid of my enemies. Man, this is my kingdom. It's me, it's me, it's me. And I don't care how it hurts you, and, and don't eat soldiers. I don't want you eating, and, and I don't care how tired you are. This is about me and my authority and my kingdom and my... That was what Jonathan saw. That was the example of leadership. Jonathan watched a very self-centered, very egotistical, very selfish leader. And what was Jonathan's leadership like? I want you to see it. Chapter 14, verse number one. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bear his armor. This is a guy that is supposed to live to serve, king Saul, to serve Jonathan. He was his armor bearer. Jonathan could treat him any way that he wanted. He's the king's son and he he could do whatever he could be his little whipping boy he could do anything that he wanted i want you to see some things here and and he the man that bare his armor what did he say come and let notice that next word us go over to the philistines garrison he had he had for, for him that is on the other side king uh, jonathan here there's a i'm not going to ask you to do my work i'm not going to treat you we're, we're a team we're going to go together skip down to verse number six if you will for the sake of the time and Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, come and let what? Us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, not for me. This is not my, this, we're working together for there is no strength, restraint to the Lord to say by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, notice the relationship he has with his armor bearer. His armor bearer said, do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Isn't that beautiful? There was a heart level relationship in Saul's relationship to John, I'm sorry, in Jonathan's relationship to his armor bearer. 
And he wasn't just there because he had to be. He wasn't just begrudgingly obeying his superior. No, whatever you want to do, I'm right there with you. Turn wherever you want. I'm with you according to your heart. We're on the same page. By the way, if you're a leader, that, that, that is what we want to have. It's not what we always have, but as a pastor, we, we, the, the, it's better to lead not with fear or guilt or manipulation, but a heart-level relationship. And, and folks want to serve with you as a spiritual leader, not they have to serve with you. And if you're a parent, what did Solomon say? My son, give me thine heart. And I understand that sometimes that, that parents can do things or children can do things that constrain that relationship. But, but the right type of relationship in the family is a heart level. Not that I'm obeying out of fear. I'm cowering in, in fear. No, I know my mom loves me. I know my dad loves me. And I want to, I want to please God and I want to please them because they have my heart. That's what, if you're a teacher, it shouldn't just be, here's the rules of the classroom. You, you obey this or I'm calling your parents. No, those students should know you love them and there's a heart level. It's in every area of leadership. If you're a coach, they know you have their, it's heart. He said, according to thy heart, look, skip down to verse number 11, what he said, what it says, verse 11. And notice it, both of them, they're a team discovered themselves under the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. Skip, uh, look at verse number 12. And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said up unto his armor bearer, notice this, come up after me. By the way, this is an enemy. This is dangerous. He didn't say, hey, you go up. Let's see if they kill you. No, he's the armor bearer. Come up after me. For the Lord had delivered them into the hand of Israel, and Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor-bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter, which Jonathan, noticed that word, and his armor-bearer made, was about 20 men within, as it were, in half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. I don't know all the reasons that that, that it, it, it's so clear multiple times that it names Jonathan and his armor bearer. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me and let us go and us. But do you remember when Jonathan won? What was Saul's proclamation? Saul won a victory. With Jonathan, what do we see? There's that, even when, I believe as you watch, as you read it, and we'll see some other things here, even though what Jonathan saw modeled was a self, selfish leadership model, he modeled a selfless leadership model. He sought to, to build and to get the heart. It has been said, hurt people hurt people. Those, those that have been hurt go on to hurt others. May I say that isn't completely true? Because every one of us have been hurt. On multiple occasions, by people that, that love us throughout our lives, and not everyone seeks to hurt others. I think it would probably better be said, Hurt people who don't forgive those who hurt them hurt other people. Jonathan had been hurt by his dad, but he didn't take that out on those under his leadership. Hurt people who don't forgive those that have hurt them go on to hurt other people. That, what does the Bible say? That root of bitterness. Beware lest any root of bitterness spring up in your life. And what does it say? Thereby defile many. Hurt people who don't forgive those that have hurt them, defile many, go on to hurt others. Number three, number three, what do we see in the life of Jonathan? Toxic leadership doesn't have to define you. Number three, I see in Jonathan's life, operate in faith even if your leader operated in the flesh. 
operate. What did we see from King Saul a few weeks ago, or maybe, a, I don't know how long ago, whenever we studied it? Remember when King Saul, when Samuel wasn't there, when he thought when he was supposed to be there? Remember what King Saul did? He looked good externally. He did the right religious um, uh, ceremonies and things, but what did he do? He operated in the flesh. I can't wait on God. I can't wait for, I can't respect God's man and God's office. I don't care that I'm not supposed to do that. I'm the king. Bring a sacrifice here. Hey, let's get this spiritual stuff out of the way so we can go and conquer. And what did he say when, it, when, when, when Samuel came and asked him what he did? He, he said, well, basically, I operated out of fear and out of the flesh. I didn't trust God enough to protect me. I didn't trust God enough to lead me. I didn't trust God enough to take care of those under my leadership. So I operated in the flesh. By the way, that's what Jonathan saw in his dad's life and in his dad's leadership and in his dad's reign. And what do we see from Jonathan? What did he tell his armor bearer in verse number six? He said, let's go over there. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Let's step out by faith, armor bearer. Maybe God wants to do a great victory in and through us, and we'll just see what he wants to do. It's not in your strength, and it's not in my strength. It's his, he says. Notice what it says in what we read in verse, where was that? Verse number uh, Uh, Verse number 12 at the end, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan pointing his armor bearer to God and to God's power and to God's strength. A man that what he saw was a leader that acted in the flesh. And what did he do? He acted in faith. Well, it's just the way I was trained. No, take personal responsibility. Well, that's the way my parents handled things. That's, That's the way my home was. Well, if it's not according to Scripture, change it. Operate in faith, even if what you saw in leaders, well, that's how, that's how it's always been here around this office. Change it. If what you've seen modeled to you in leadership is flesh-based, uh, fear-based, uh, fleshly leadership, seek to become an, a leader that operates in faith. Let's trust God, Jonathan said. Let's trust God and see what he wants to do. Number four, the fourth admonition. Treat people with compassion, even if your leader treated people harshly. Treat people with compassion, even if your leader treated people harshly. Chapter 14, verse number 24. We studied this, I don't know, uh, one or two messages ago in this series. And the men of Israel, chapter 14, verse 24. Are you there with me? And the men of Israel were what, church? Distressed. Distressed that day. For Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I, there it is, that egotistical leadership, that I may be avenged of mine enemies. You're my, you're my minions. You're my, you're my peons. I don't, don't even stop to eat. All you need to do is make sure that I am avenged of mine enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. Let me just say, is that the right way to treat an army of people that's fighting for you? You can't eat anything? No, that's harsh leadership. Notice what it says in verse 25. And and all they of the land came to a wood and there was honey upon the ground. They're starving. And when the people were coming to the wood, behold, the honey dropped, but no man 
put his hand to his mouth. They, they lived in fear of their leader, for the people feared the oath. It says it right there. They were distressed. They were fearful. Verse 27, but Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath. Wherefore, he put forth the end of his rod that was in the hand and dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes were enlightened. Man, he got, a, he got that Red Bull in him. He got that energy shot. He got that energy drink. He was ready to go another few hours. His eyes were enlightened. He was, got that power nap. You ever, you know that feeling when you get that little 15 minute nap and you're ready to conquer the world? That little honey did that for him. Notice what it says in verse 28. Then answered one of the people and said, thy father straightly charged the people with an oath saying, cursed be the man that eateth any food this day. And the people were faint. They were distressed. They were fearful. They were faint. Skip down, if you will, to chapter, and by the way, you can continue to read it. Basically, Jonathan says, man, that's not right. You guys need something to eat. But chapter 43, look what it says. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what thou hast done. And Jonathan told him and said, I did but taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in mine hand, and lo, I must die. Look at the harshness of Saul's leadership. And Saul answered, God do so and more also, for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. That is how his dad treated him and those under his leadership. That harshness, that coldness, that callousness. And yet we see with Jonathan, with his armor bearer, even here, I won't take the time to read it, but even here he says, man, you guys need to get some energy. You need to get some food there. With David, his relationship there, Jonathan didn't take the hurts he had been hurt with and use it to hurt others. Were you mistreated by a parent, a coach, a boss, a pastor? Again, I'm not minimizing or justifying mistreatment or abuse. But may I just say, don't take that out on those that you love and lead when you become a parent, a coach, a boss, or a pastor. You're going to have to admit that you were hurt by someone. You're going to have to work through it. And then in your life, put up some safeguards and seek some accountability from others, maybe a spouse or a friend or a fellow coworker, to keep you from committing the same sins of unkindness. If you see some areas where you can see the harshness of leaders in your lives has affected you, may I challenge you and me, don't treat others the way you were treated. Treat them the way you wish you had been treated. Number five, number five. Seek godly relationships, even if your leader was an ungodly example. Chapter 15, verse number 26. Chapter 15, verse number 26. Notice this is, this is Jonathan's leader. Let's see if he's a godly or ungodly example. Chapter 15, verse 26. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Godly or ungodly example, church? Ungodly. Sure. Look at Jonathan, chapter 18, verse number one. Skip over a few chapters and we're almost done. Chapter 18, verse number one. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. Who is David? The Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. For the sake of time, skip down to verse 12. 
and Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. What do we see here? Jonathan, what he has seen is an ungodly leader. And what does he choose to do? He says, this is the example I've seen. This is what I've seen at home. This is what I've seen in my governmental leader. This is what I've seen in my family leader. This is what I've seen in my employment leader. He was all of those things. Saul was all of those things to Jonathan. And what did, what do we see Jonathan do? Jonathan sought out godly, a godly relationship, godly examples, a man after God's own heart. By the way, humanly speaking, David was a competition to the ambition and future of Jonathan. When you're a king, who takes the kingdom? Your son. In, in fact, I don't know if we'll see it tonight or if it's another message I've been studying, so I can't remember what, what stuff's in which message. We might see it here in a minute. I don't, don't remember. But, but, but Saul even says here, hey, what are you doing? Let's kill David. If you don't, you're, you're not going to be king. That was the attitude of his leader. And what does Saul do? He says, man, I, I got to get some good influences in my life because I, I, I acknowledge I've had some bad influences that it will affect me if I don't, if I don't do that. You know how it works? I'm not much of a gardener. But if you have, if you have weeds in a, and it starts to overtake maybe a lawn, let's say, you know there's two things you have to do to make that a healthy lawn. Number one, you have to pull the weeds, right? But you don't just stop there because if all you do is pull them, there's going to be a bare patch there. The grass might try to grow back, but the weeds come back quicker than the grass can. And that, what do you have to do? Not only do you pull the weeds, but then you need to do what? You need to plant some good seed. You pull the bat out and you put some good in. It's been called, I've, I've heard people call it uh, or say something along the lines of in our lives when we get saved and we're starting to progress in our sanctification, we see some wrong things in our lives. Don't just get rid of the wrong stuff, replace it with good stuff. If you're listening to music that is not pleasing to Christ, don't just say, well, I'm just going to stop listening to music forever. No, stop listening to music that's not pleasing to Christ. Pull the weeds, but then start listening to music that is pleasing to Christ. Plant some seeds. And, and what do we see here? Jonathan understood. Hey, and Jonathan could have, he could have turned into, it doesn't, you can look at kingdoms throughout history, even today, North Korea. You see the, the leader of North Korea, he, what did he do? He turned into his dad and maybe even worse. Jonathan could have, he could have ascended the throne and turned into his dad. He could have, if he wanted to, he could have killed King David. There's an opportunity here. But Jonathan said, you know what? Even if my leader was, an, and, and especially because my leader was an ungodly example, I understand I've got to surround myself with some godly examples. I have some shortcomings in my life that I need to make up the hedge in. Number six, and we're done. Do right, even if your leader tells you to do wrong or shows you to do wrong. Notice chapter 19. We are going to see it tonight. Chapter 19, verses one through six. Chapter 19, the last thought here. And Saul spake to Jonathan and his son and to all his servants. What did Saul tell them? That they should what, church? That they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. By the way, he does right, even when his dad tells him to do wrong. You say, well, I, I just can't help it. I, I, was, I was manipulated by a leader. And I, no, and again, leaders can manipulate people, but we all have personal responsibility. This is just the way I am. I lose my temper because that's what I saw all growing up. And you do not, we, I do not get to justify my wrong actions because of wrong actions I've seen in other people's lives. 
Well, this is how I was treated in school and this is how I was treated at church. and It's just the way I am. No, we need to do right even if our leader has done wrong or tells us to do wrong. And he says, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art. And I will commune with my father of thee. And what I see, that I will tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul, his father. Again, by the way, Jonathan doing what was hard, but what was right. You, th- you don't think it was hard to come and tell Saul, man, isn't David a good guy? Saul just told everybody in his leadership circle, we got to kill that guy. And the next morning, his son is coming and speaking well of David. You don't think that was hard to, to do what was right there? But, but Jonathan did what was right, even though it was hard. And he spake good of David, verse 4, unto Saul his father. And he said unto them, let not the king sin against his servant dad. Don't, don't sin. Dad, get right. Don't do this wrong against David. He has not sinned against thee. And because his works have been to thee, were very good. He's been a wonderful, wonderful person in our kingdom, Dad. He had put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine, Goliath. And the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Saul, Dad, you look great because David, that shepherd boy, came in and won that victory. Thou sawest it and didst rejoice. He's trying to speak some sense into his dad. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? By the way, again, It's a beautiful picture. It's not in my nose, but a beautiful picture. We ought to stand for truth even if we have leaders not standing for truth. He comes and has a hard conversation and says, Dad, it's not right what you're doing. The way you're treating him is not right. He doesn't deserve this. He didn't do anything to deserve this. Notice verse number six, and Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swear, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. That sounds pretty good, right? Jonathan talks some sense into his dad. David, it's all good. Come on back home. Skip down to verse 10. (laughs) Didn't take long. And Saul sought to what? Smite David, even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Again, are you getting a picture of who Saul was? Emotional, irrational? Says one thing, does another? It's all about him and his kingdom and his, his egotism. And yet Jonathan kept his spirit right, kept his heart right, kept his actions right, kept his relationships right. Notice verse, uh, verse number 11. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him. He, he goes and he sends a, a surveillance unit and to slay him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, if thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. Hey, honey, I looked out, and there's some surveillance vans, and if you don't do something, when you walk out, you're about to get killed. Verse number 12, and Michael took an image and laid it in the bed and put a pillow of goat's, goat's hair for his bolster and covered it with a cloth. You can read on. They did a little, a little jailbreak. They did this little, they, they put a thing in bed there. Skip over, if you will. Let's go to chapter 20. I'm going to read maybe uh, four more verses, five more verses here. Chapter 20, verse number one, and I'll wrap it all up. Notice what it says. And David fled from Naoth and came and said before Jonathan, what have I done? What is mine iniquity? What is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? Why is your dad treating me like this? I don't understand. You can hear the despair and the discouragement. Skip down, please. You're listening well and following along well. Skip down to verse 30, please. Notice this. Jonathan has done what is right. He's asked his dad once again to to let David go. Verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan 
Sometimes leaders will take it out on us when we try to do what's right. And he said unto him, notice what he says, thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman. And I'm not trying to be harsh. He, he basically, it's a, he curses at him here. We, we would, there's a similar phrase in, in our vernacular. He just curses at him. Who do you think you are? He says in verse number, number 30, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and under the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? 31, for as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, notice this, it's all, so all of Saul's motivation is selfish, self-serving. He said, as long as David's alive, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me. Son, would you please conspire with me, for he shall surely die. You can do it. Go tell him everything's good. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said unto him, wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? Verse 33, and Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him. Talk about a toxic leader. Son, you're not going to help me kill David. You're not going to help me sin. I'll kill you instead. And, and whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. Verse 42, the last verse of this chapter. And Jonathan said to David, go in peace. For as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord. By the way, we've, we've decided to live for God. Even though our leaders are not, our influences are not. Saying, the Lord be between me and thee and between my seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. What do we see here? I know I read a lot of verses there. A beautiful picture. Over and over and over again. His influences in his life did wrong and tried to get him to do wrong. And over and over and over again. John, you don't think Jonathan could have justified doing wrong? Treating a friend the wrong way? Treating his dad the wrong way? He, could, he would have been justified in that. But over and over and over again, what do we see in Jonathan? Godliness, humility, integrity, honesty. A, a, a heart love for those that he served with. If anybody, humanly speaking, was justified to, to make some decisions that weren't pleasing to God because of the way he had been treated, I think Jonathan was. Can I encourage you? Don't go that direction. Toxic leadership doesn't have to define you. Have you ever been hurt by a leader? I think all of us can say yes, some more than others. I admit that. I can't really look back in my life and see where, I, where, where something, what I would call super egregious, has been done to me. And I'm thankful for that. And I know that's not the story of everyone here. I know that some of you could tell some horror stories of the ways maybe someone you love dearly treated you took advantage of you, took liberties they never should have. Maybe a pastor, you've been in a service and they've stood up and preached all about you for 45 minutes. That never should happen. And you know what that can do? That can cause bitterness toward a parent, toward an aunt or an uncle, a brother or a sister, a pastor, a boss, a coach, a teacher. Anger, revenge. But as I read this, and I hadn't planned Pastor Jay, this is supposed to be a study in the life of King Saul. It kind of is tonight. I hadn't planned in my initial study of this to really focus on Jonathan. But as I read it, throughout these chapters, studying for future messages in this series, it kept coming up. I was shocked, Jeff. And he just responded so well. 
He was mistreated. He did right. His leader tried to get him to do wrong. He did right. He had ungodly examples. He chose godly relationships. What's your excuse? What's my excuse? I'm not victim shaming. I'm not minimizing abuse. I'm not minimizing the hurt you have, have gone through. What I am saying is it doesn't have to define the rest of your life if you don't let it. Jonathan, all that was done to him, he said, you know what? I'm still going to trust God. Maybe God wants to use me in a big way. Hey, let's go. Let's see what God will do. He does, God doesn't need a lot of people to do a big work. Maybe he'll use us. Hey, Dad, well, son, if, if we don't kill him, you won't be the king. Dad, I want what God wants. I don't want what I want. If God doesn't want me to be the king, I don't want to be the king. David doesn't deserve that. So many times, Jonathan was mistreated, and his response was so right. And I look at my own life and say, do I act and operate out of fear and the flesh and the hurt I've received in my life along the way, maybe? Do I then hurt others with that? Maybe I was mistreated in this arena or environment, and so if I'm not careful, the places where I have power, oh God, help it not be so. Our toxic leadership doesn't have to define us. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.